Hello and welcome to Never Let the Rock Stop. Uh, this is the very first episode. And for the first episode, I thought, uh, why not get one of my favorite musicians in the world to come on? Unfortunately, John Bon Jovi was busy, so I had to settle for you, Jean-Luca. <laughs> Hi, Debbie. How are you Thank doing, you for- sir? I'm doing fine, thank you. And a uh, nice introduction. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, I think uh, it's not that bad to be the second after Bon Jovi anyway, so... <laughs> I am kidding, thank of course. But, uh, so, Jean-Luc Affermo, is, am I saying that right? I, I tend to slaughter the names of folks that I talk to here, so... Is that correct, Jean-Luc? Firmo, yes. Firmo. Okay. Firmo, yes. It's uh, perfect. Oh, perfect. All right. Excellent. All right, so I'm uh, just going to jump in here. Uh, you know, what role did music play for you when you were growing up? Um, you know, I grew up in a very musical household, uh, as we were talking earlier. Uh, growing up with the classical art uh, composers like Chopin and stuff. So I grew up, you know, music was ingrained in me in a very young age. Um, what role did that play as far as your household when you were growing up? Yeah, I think it's the same that happened to you. Uh, I mean, my uncle was a, is, still is a, a very popular music teacher here for uh, classical trained musicians. And so he also te- taught me how to play piano and uh, technically approach the music. No? But besides that, I, my family was, uh, ha- has always been into music. My dad used to play violin and sing when he was younger. Uh, my mom was, uh, <laughs> had no uh, musical experience, real musical experience, but she always uh, loved to sing and listen to artists. So for me, it was natural to grow up listening to music and to very different style of music, going from classical music to popular music. Um, and ethnical, ethnic Italian music, no, like Liscio, if you know what it is. And so I listened to a very uh, wide range of uh, styles. And then I got my, uh, you know, uh, very guiding star uh, the mid of the 80s when I, in the same year, came out uh, uh, the final canon from Europe and uh, a slipper went wet from Bon Jovi. Also, the same years came out uh, True Blue from Madonna, which also is an album I really love. And for, probably if the final canon of Slippery When Wet hadn't come out that year, I would be a fan of Madonna today <laughs> because that album I really loved. But uh, thank God uh, uh, both uh, the final canon and Slippery When Wet uh, took me on the right way and I still listen mostly to rock and roll, even if I still listen to a lot of different uh, genres uh all over my life well i mean there's nothing wrong with madonna i like a lot of hers myself but uh, i mean you're talking about two of the in my opinion two of the greatest rock albums of all time with the final countdown and slipper run wet so uh yeah i remember that at the time i was 13 so it was the the i think the perfect age to come across such albums you know you listen to that and you get your oh my god this is my my future this this is what i want to be and what i want to do oh exactly and you know and i'm a little biased because it's bon jovi and it's my favorite band in the world but in my opinion um you know living on a prayer is one of if not the greatest rock anthem of all time um you know it's like uh rick beato said in a video that he did the pre-course to that song in most any other song would be the course, but that song is so 
great that the pre-course is, is, is just the pre-course. It leads to something even better with the course. And uh, I remember when that album was released and it was just incredible. And the final countdown, the same. Uh, just just amazing music. And still, it's, it's two of my favorite bands in the world right there. Yeah, we have similar taste. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, I agree about uh, Living on a Prayer. I think it's one of the songs that uh, stood the test of time, you know. Uh, usually you hear a lot of speaking pe people speaking about uh, uh, this is a masterpiece this is not a masterpiece this is a a, a super band and this this is not but uh, in the end the only thing that really tells you uh, how good something is, is is time you know if in 50 years somebody is still talking about that then you did something good oh absolutely and i mean i don't know how it is there in italy but here in the us you go to any sporting event or any type of uh, event where there's a big gathering of people and that song comes on, I don't care what age group is there, everybody knows that song. And everybody sings along and gets hyped up to it. And that that alone tells you, you know, sure, it was it was the bubblegum pop of, of the 80s at that point, but just how amazing that song is. And... Um, I think, like you said, the test of time, of course, it says it all. Um, yeah. And uh, in Italy, it's quite different, specifically speaking about uh, Living on a Prayer, because it's not an Italian song, you know. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it's more uh, tied to the, the fashion of the moments, the trend of the moments. It was very popular in the 80s. Now it's still very popular, so everybody knows that song, even in uh, among youngest generations. But it has a different meaning. It's different for me, who, who I grew up listening to it, and it's different for a kid who listened to it today and said, "Yeah, it's nice. I know that song, but it's not living it in, in the same way." Oh no, no, not at all. And you know, one of the things, and I see this discussion a lot on music boards and stuff, um, of why all of us think that the '80s was the best genre, or the best decade for music, is that. You know, and this is comes from like we were talking earlier with with our parents and what you know. It, it's all about the kids' music. It's the music that you hear during your formative years um, that really sets the tone for you. Uh, so this this came, you know, these songs came about when we were young, when it, we were impressionable youth, and that's why they they really stand out to us. I think um, so. You know, you talk about kids today, they can like the music, but it's never going to be the same for them as it was for, for folks that actually grew up when these albums were released and these songs were coming out. Yeah. Also, you have to think about this fact. I mean, um, when when you're young, you tend to be a rebel, no, in any way. So when uh, some kind of music becomes so popular that is uh, uh, accepted by every uh, generation of people so the young and the, and the old is not rebelling anymore so kids are not so interested in it because part of popularity of music is still in the uh, uh, in the you know the image that it uh, carries with it uh, if you want to be a rapper today you have to be i don't know a rapper a trapper or whatever like or something like that mm. back in the 80s to be a rapper you had to be a rocker <laughs> that's right <laughs> so, so that that comes uh, along with it, no, and and it favorites the the 
popularity of a music style in the 80s, in, uh, sorry, during an era. An era. But I think that uh, 80s were the best, <laughs> beside uh, the fact that we were younger at the time. But I think it was the best because uh, if you think about the, the the style of that era, you you if you listen to pop or if you listen to metal, there was not this huge difference, you know. Uh, everything it was like putting a big melting pot, and uh, everything of course sounded different, but with a common root. While nowadays everything is very very different. If you listen to to rap, you can uh, just think that it comes from rock or whatever. Mm. Well, in the 80s, everything was uh, was in this big melting pot. And if you listen to, it's not hard that you listen to people uh, speaking about the 80s. And I say, yeah, I was a rocker too. I listened to Duran Duran. And uh, exactly. we were a pop band. But back in the 80s, it was, uh, yeah, still sounding similar to rock. Mm-hmm. Of course, if if you keep uh, uh, if you listen to I don't know Motley Crue and Duran Duran, it sounds very different. But if you keep uh, if you listen to Bon Jovi and Duran Duran, the difference is not so uh, strong in terms of sounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. Yes. Uh, so I'll move on here. Um, you play the keyboards, obviously. Was was learning a musical instrument? Uh, something that was pushed on you as as a child, or is that something you picked up uh, from your own desire? Oh well, I, I was really a kid, so I I didn't really decide what to do. They they offered me the chance, and uh, probably they were good enough to to make uh, me to show me the the best uh, sides of learning an instrument. So I started playing piano with my uncle. who taught me how to how to do it, but it was not really a choice. Uh, in fact, when I was a little older, uh, like a, a teen, <laughs> I, I didn't uh, keep playing piano. I stopped playing piano for a long while because I was, was most interested in, uh, you know, playing football or uh, uh, meeting girls or uh, just listening to music, whatever that brought me fun. While studying music was not so fun. Uh, I, I had the, the to start back, to start... Uh, later again to study piano because I was interested in uh, writing songs and so I, I, I thought it was useful to learn again to play piano but I started again as a self-taught you know uh, even if I had lessons when I when I was a kid then I, when I started back uh, it was almost starting from scratch and uh, so I learned in a different way and uh, after a while, I started again studying piano with my uncle because uh, uh, being self-taught is not so good. <laughs> you make a lot of mistakes <laughs> and you you make your hands work in the wrong way, so you don't uh, you don't know how to to play very well. And when you need to do things, you can't. So I I started taking lesson again with my uncle. And I still do. Uh, I play well just for fun, but it's uh, it's better to do it uh, in the right way. Right. Uh, so when, when was it that you first discovered that you had this ability to write music? I mean, how old were you when you wrote your first song? Oh, how old? I was a teen, uh, probably my 17, uh, 16, 17, something like that. But, um, I, I never had a real, uh, you know, I don't know what's the, the English word for it, but in, Ita- in Italian we say gavetta. It means that you uh, make a lot of live shows and uh, uh, spend a lot of time in rehearsal room and uh, things like that to, to, 
to learn how to do things. No, I didn't have a band back then. I just uh, listened to a lot of music, mainly radio rock and, and stuff like that. And uh, I wanted to make something that sounded the same. No, so I started. Uh, writing songs by myself first only lyrics because it's the the things that everybody starts from i think but the, the lyrics were awful at the moment i mean <laughs> if i read some of those lyrics uh, but then i i they, they sound like a like a work from a a kid in the primary grade <laughs> it's something horrible uh but it's normal. And then I wanted to make music, so I bought some instruments. And using my keyboards, I, I could put together uh, some basic accompaniments, some basic, basic arrangements, and uh, sing over it. And I used to record that uh, with a multi-track recorder. It was, uh, we allow, allowed me to record uh, four different times on the same uh, uh, cassette. You know, mm -hmm. so you you could uh, use instead of uh, just recording in stereo, stereo, you could record on four tracks, and so you had four instruments to use, <laughs> and one was a voice, one the backing vocals, the keyboards did everything, <laughs> and then the guitar from a from a friend just to give it a a little uh, appearance of rock, and those was really awful songs, but some <laughs> ideas were good and came back later during the years when I started writing uh, with, with more, um, you know, continuity. And uh, I don't know if I ever discovered that I'm good. I still wonder today because you write songs because you think you're doing something good in, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, you you want to do something and you do it. But then uh, if you're good or not, it's other people that have to tell you because uh, it's uh, what they like or not. Uh, when uh, it's always hard to choose what is the the the, the way to to um, to know if you're doing something right or wrong. It, it could be the market if you sell a lot of copies, if you sell a million copies, or or it could be just appreciation from your friends if that's what you're looking for. There are a lot of reasons uh, why you can tell, yeah, I'm doing the things right. Uh, but you, you need to, to choose which one. Actually, I don't care. I mean, I just make music. I'm happy when people tell me they uh, like the music because it makes it, them feel fine. I don't sell millions of copies, so <laughs> in a way I'm good, in another way I'm not. Uh, I, I prefer to leave people uh, to tell me if I'm good. What I know is that I, if I want to write a song, I, I always make it to the end. I mean, I start, I have an idea, uh, I'm able, in, I'm good enough to develop the idea from one point to another. And then uh, when it's done, uh, it's just uh, throwing the song to the lions and let them know what they think. So, so you mentioned this, uh, what, what does negative uh, feedback how does that affect you? I know. I mean, obviously, it's this is something that you're passionate about. This you're pouring your your life into these songs, so it has to affect you negatively, obviously. But um, if you if you read a negative review or hear a negative comment on on a song or an album, is is that does that discourage you, or does it does it teach you to say, look, I, okay, next time around, I need to do this or this differently. I mean, every every thought you can read or hear about uh, what you do can teach you something. Um, 
the, the difference to me is all, only to, to find out where you can get uh, good advices from or who you can get good advices from. Because everyone will give you advice when you do something. Mm -hmm. you, know? you, you write the songs and even to the best song in the world, there will be somebody who will tell you, yeah, but I will do like this in this, in this point here because it doesn't work. Yes. You can listen to everyone or to no one or just find a, a, the right middle and listen to what you think is uh, um, correct, which is, in a way, self-reference, uh, self no, because you still uh, decide who is giving the right advices and who is not. But uh, I think it's part of the game. You, you are the musician, you're making your music, so you decide who said something right or not. But getting a lot of feedbacks is always good because you, you can get uh, more information about your songs. We need to tell also that uh, there are a lot of reviewers nowadays, like there are a lot of musicians. It's easier for musicians to let their music known, but it's also easier for reviewers <laughs> write a review. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, reviewers don't, don't have the, the required, you know, uh, ability to make a review so they, they write just the their impression which is still good but it's personal expression impre impression based on nothing just but taste which right. is not really a review it's so not a review it, exactly it's not a review so if if you if you read a review like that and he says yeah this uh, record sucks <laughs> it's not a problem for me i'm sorry you didn't like but it's not a problem but i won't get any advice from that uh, that uh, review because it's just too personal if he if her viewer said uh, the record sucks because uh, Gianluca is not a singer and uh, <laughs> he shouldn't sing it's okay then I, I it means I might check and improve uh, my my vocal performance or change <laughs> the singer <laughs> or whatever <laughs> the, 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 there are a lot of solutions but that is uh, something I, I might consider there there is there always has to be some uh, reason in the back. Um, if, if you just say something, it doesn't matter. But if you wanted to make a, a, an advice, you have to give uh, uh, also the background of it. So you say something and you also say where that something comes from. I you said Gianluca is not a singer because, and then I, I can uh, uh, focus on that because and find uh, uh, how to improve. I, I absolutely agree. And this I'm obviously not from a from an artist, but uh, yeah, I agree because if if you like you said, if you simply say uh, this album sucks, there there's nothing to why why does it suck other than the fact that you don't like it personally. What is it about it that is so bad? Um, but like you said, if you say this album sucks because this and this and this, then okay. I can take that and go with it and, and understand what, where you're coming from with that, with that review. Um, but I don't know. Of course, it, it doesn't mean that, that I will change things the, 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 the next time <laughs> because maybe I still uh, consider your advice, but I still prefer doing things uh, my way. Exactly. It, it's not that every advice must change into, must become a change in your way you do things. Yeah, it's still, it's still your your music an expression of yourself and so you have to do that the way that you feel is the best way for you and uh, I think that's that's the hard part would would be the hard part of, of being an artist is is 
expressing yourself in the way that you want to and taking that negative criticism on the back and just saying, you know what, I'm sorry you didn't like it, but this is my music, so suck it. But I don't think it's really that hard. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's you make music, you, you, first you do it for yourself because you, you, um, you like what you do. Uh, if you are a very important artist, you also do it for the market, so that might be more complicated because you have to also please uh, a certain uh, part of the market, even if it's not what you really like. But beside that, that cases, I mean, you do uh, music because you like it, and uh, you do music for the people who likes it. Uh, if you have to focus on someone, you have to focus on those who like it, and why they like it, not on those who doesn't like it and, and why they doesn't like it. Because in, in the end, uh, you will never make everybody happy with, with your music or with your art in general. You just uh, choose which part of people make happy and uh, just you can't care about all the others. Otherwise, uh, uh, you will chase everyone's uh, taste and it will take you to nothing, it will lead you to nothing. Yeah, and I think, you know, the the minute that you start trying to please someone else with what you're writing is the minute you lose yourself as an artist. I agree. You, I you sell agree. your soul as an artist for, for the almighty dollar. And, you know, that obviously happens all the time, I'm sure, with um, with popular artists that are selling millions of records or, you know, at one time were selling millions of records. I don't know if anybody actually sells records anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure not one of them. <laughs> well, I bought one of your two records that sold. So yeah. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much. If I, be, I ever become a millionaire, I know who to thank. You know first. who to thank, that's right. You know, I was going to tell you, uh, our mutual friend there, Dion Bayman, um, he had me write the, uh, the inner liner notes for his new album, so... You know, I'm expecting yeah, you to you to step up your game here on your next record. Sorry, I missed the last part. I, I said I'm expecting you to step up your game on your next record. You know, <laughs> I, I get some thanks in the liner notes, but I, I'm going to need a little more this next time around. Yeah, you you will write lyrics and all the songs in my next record. <laughs> the, you know what? Put my picture on the front too. Just okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is a look of film, but the, the cover is a very the most important person of this race. That's right. That's right. Yeah, okay. That's a deal. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, the, you know, your debut uh, Room Experience record came out in uh, 2015. Was that the, the first published work you had, or did you have any songs prior to that record that came out? I actually had, but uh, the, you can really call it a, a release because it was just, uh, you know, as I told you, I didn't have a, a, a work on the stage or in the rehearsal room with a, with a band uh, for many years. So uh, I didn't have a, a real uh, background as a musician. No? I always just spent time writing songs, recording them, mixing them, playing them but all in my room. And that's why the, the project then was called Room Experience that we get to back that later maybe. And uh, so uh, when, when, when it came out, uh, I was just used to, to play a song, record it, and let my friend listen to that. 
also through social network like uh, Facebook or earlier MySpace uh, for my friends who were living uh, far away, you know. And uh, at a certain time, I decided that uh, I, I wanted to save the songs in, uh, in a better way. So I decided to release a, a kind of record of demo, <laughs> uh, uh, which was released only on digital platforms and then was uh, uh, retired, was, uh, you know, <laughs> took back when uh, Room Experience came back because some of the songs uh, in Room Experience came from that uh, record. But besides that, I had no previous releases. Okay. Well, you answered, kind of answered two of my questions there. One was about the the name Room Experience, which you did answer. And the, the next question I was going to ask was uh, how long that record was in the works for you? Um, you know, how long were you writing that debut Room Experience record before it was actually released, before it became uh, uh, to fruition a project for you that you knew was going to get published? Yeah, yeah. the story about Room Experience is quite uh, strange, I think, because starting from the name, which uh, I, I already told you, <laughs> which many people say is the worst name ever. <laughs> no, I've heard, I've heard far worse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it's, uh, it's partly also no, because of... No because, offense uh, to David and Dennis and all them, but Pink Cream 69 is a pretty bad name. <laughs> so it must be David that brings the bad name in. <laughs> it's an it's no. awesome band. I love them, but a horrible name. Yeah, I, I think it's a funny name, Pink Cream 69. <laughs> Makes me think about a lot of different uh, funny stuff. So it's okay. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Room Experience was was thought to be one of the worst name ever. So I don't know. I, I just thought it was funny and also represented well the the, the situation. Now because it was a, a project that was built around the songs written in a room for years, and just played in a room for years. So it it was a kind of uh, uh, had had a meaning for mm -hmm. the for the band. And how long? Uh, that's what I told you before. I, I used to write songs since I was 17. So Room Experience came out when I was 42. I think it's 25 years in the making, <laughs> if oh, you wow. want to look at it uh, in this way. But the real works uh, on Room Experience started in 2013 when I met uh, Davide Barbieri and uh, Pierpaolo Montezoro, who also is uh, responsible for a lot of very good albums in the melodic rock scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, with them, I started working. I started working uh, in a professional way, uh, in any professional world that until uh, that moment I, I, I didn't know about. Uh, they, they opened me the door to let the, the, the songs out of the room and let them to the world. Um, they basically remain the same as I as I wrote, uh, with a few minor changes, uh, but they were re built from scratch. I mean, we follow the, 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 the sketch that I used to um, put in the songs. So the melody, the arrangements and everything was kept, but they were refined and, and made so much better by playing by awesome musicians, uh, sung by David Ridman, which of course is not the same as sung by Gianluca Firmo. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a totally different voice in, in, in of course, in quality and also in, in the approach of singing, you know? So mm -hmm. it, it also delivers different feelings uh, in, compared to the ones I deliver with my voice, if I ever deliver. <laughs> and uh, it'll... Uh, yeah, so it was two years in the making, let's say like that. But the song comes from 25 years earlier. 
Well, that you, you again, kind of answered my next question, and that was how you went about assembling the uh, that group of artists that you had, because it's it's quite an impressive lineup. I mean, people from Shining Line, Charming Grace, Wills of Fire, Lionville, Alessandro DeVecchio, um, yeah. and then David, of course. Um, yeah, of course. So how how did it come about that you had that that group of artists? On, on a debut record from, uh, you know, an unknown person? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough to live in a, in a very good area for music in Italy because it's uh, not very far from where Alessandro Del Vecchio lives, not very far from where Davide Barbieri and uh, Pierpaolo Monti lives. So when we... Uh, when they listened to my music and we started talking about making a record, we were close enough to put things together, no? And they were already in the music business before meeting me. So uh, when they when we started thinking about how to uh, produce the record, one of the first thing they, they they told me was the first thing to do is to make uh, this song sung by someone else, not because you're not good. I don't know if, if it was a lie just to... <laughs> to, to they might have been lying to you, buddy. <laughs> not because you're not good, <laughs> but, but because uh, we need somebody who can uh, express uh, them uh, uh, their potential to the fullest, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, you give us a list of name of singers that you like and that you would like to to uh, hear on your songs, or you think that uh, he could be a perfect singer for your songs. And uh, uh, we we try to contact him uh, with with our uh, contacts, uh, so to put everything together, and so with the other musicians because uh, Steve DeBiase, uh, which is the main guitar player. Mm -hmm. Um, was uh, still an Italian guy, and I used to know him, know him for, from his records, but never met him personally. So it was uh, thanks to Dave and Zorro, which I met uh, uh, Steve, or Ivan Gonzalez, which is the guitar player from 916, uh, 916 Suite, <laughs> uh, which was one of my guitar hero. And when he told me, uh, what about Ivan Gonzalez for another day without you? Say, Ivan Gonzalez from 91 Seat, are you sure? <laughs> yes, it's, it's a them, yes. So uh, that was the way, and we contacted them uh, when we think uh, their performance could add something to the song. And um, of course, they wanted to listen to the songs because they wanted to be sure that it was material good enough to spend their name on it. Right. Okay. But when when they listened to the song, they, they were uh, all happy to to participate, and we we were all on board on the same board uh, together. And it uh, it was kind of lucky meeting for everyone because it, that that record was a, a kind of unexpected su success that year. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. It, it's just a lucky uh, meetup of circumstances, but it was uh, what happened. I mean, I remember. And, and then, I, very I don't know if I if I lost a, a piece of the question, but I think I, I answered right. No, right? no, you got it. And I remember very well when that album uh, released. Uh, you know, I'm always will pick up anything that David is on, and I I, I listened to that. Uh, you know, not knowing anything else about the album except that David Reedman was on it, and I just was so impressed with with the songwriting and everything about that album. Um, 
And it was released on Melodic Rock Records, and, and the then owner of that, Andrew McNeese. Uh, how did you come to uh, getting hooked up with Andrew and getting signed to Melodic Rock? Well, yeah, actually, uh, it was uh, the, the most uh, uh, fast decision of my life, actually, because uh, I'm usually very patient, you know. I, I kept my songs in the drawers for uh, 25 years until I had this chance. And uh, I never really bothered to look for a chance to, to let my uh, songs known to the world and everything. I just kept them there. And I, I, I always thought, if they're good enough, someday they will come out. But when the album was done, uh, my first thought was about releasing it, you know, because I, I, I thought now that the work is done, now that it's ready to be heard, it has to be released. And so we sent the, the, the master of the record to a few different labels. And the first one responding uh, was uh, Andrew from Melodic Rock Records which was very enthusiastic about the records. And then he, he conquered me, you know. Uh, when, I, when I feel people are enthusiastic about something that I'm enthusiastic too, uh, I, feel, I feel we're sharing the same project. <laughs> so it was a, a sudden choice to, to sign for Melodic Rock Records. Uh, he was happy about the records, I was happy about the records, and we deal to, to uh, release the record with this label. It was very fast. So after some delays, and I know some frustration on your part, the the sophomore release uh, finally released in 2020, another time and place. And when yeah. I spoke with when I spoke with David uh, not long after that release, he told me that you know the first record it, it really felt more of a a project record to him, but with the second one everything kind of came together and it felt more like a band to him. Is is that something? Do you share that feeling? Uh, did it did it really feel like things came together and it was more of a band project the second time around than it was the first time? Yeah, uh, but it was for me it was like this from the start because uh, I, I always uh, think that uh, records are the expression of a band, not of a project. If you know what I mean, I don't have anything uh, against the project because the only difference to me is the fact that the band uh, builds the record in the rehearsal room and then takes it on the stage, while uh, projects are, um, you know, delivered by musicians, top-level musicians. Uh, without taking them maybe on stage later because they don't have a, a real tour activity and they don't have to spend time in the rehearsal room to try the best thing. <laughs> they get, uh, you know, a score and they play and they, they make it sound the best possible ways. So it's good to be a project and it's good to be a band. But in my opinion, uh, if you want to sound personal, you have to think everything as a band uh, because you have to uh, get the best out of every musician uh, for what he can give, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, uh, David uh, is uh, is an awesome singer, but if we make a sing like a crooner, it probably wouldn't sound as good. Right. And the same thing. Uh, Steve DeBiase is an awesome musician, uh, music player, guitar player, but if you make him play acoustic guitar, it probably doesn't sound as good as uh, when he plays uh, uh, electric guitars. Uh, it's just an approach of how you do things. So. 
uh, if you want to get the best out of every musician, you have to work together as a band. So it means that you uh, play something and then you discuss about this is good, this is not good. Uh, you have to replay this this way. You have to make it sound more, uh, you know, uh, mellow or more hard or whatever. And, uh, and you grow it. Probably David has the impression that the first was more project, more of a project because uh, uh, his, his performance was standing from the start. We, we sent him the, 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 you know, the, the song to sing with the vocal reference line to sing. And what he gave us back was uh, already perfect. We <laughs> almost haven't had to, to, to do anything on his vocals. Like, uh, you know, uh, it, it was like listening to one perfect take. You know, so it's uh, uh, for him. He was just receiving the song, singing, and sending back <laughs> until the moment we we really met. We only had uh, contacts via, via phone uh, or via, or via um, mail or whatever, uh, but not really. So that's the reason why probably felt it more. It was more like a project. Also, because it was uh, uh, called on board, as as we can say. Uh, he was not building it from the start. He was called on board to sing the songs. While on the second records, uh, also the songs were written having David's voice in mind. And I think you can hear it in the way he performs. I think the, the second record is even more in the style of uh, David when it comes to singing. You I can would... feel it in the, in the way he, he performs. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and, you know, another thing he told me is that... that one thing that drew him to this project was was how strong the songs were um you know he said that he he really changed very little or had very little input into changing things about the songs uh other than perhaps changing some of the some of the the lyrics to make them sound a little more uh of something he would he would actually say himself uh or a little more english than you know italian um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, there was uh, there are sentences that for me make sense in Italian, but probably are not making sense in English. So uh, one, uh, I don't know if it's correct or not, but I, uh, in, uh, in in one of the songs of the first record was uh, "Wounds of Love." It was on a limited edition. I don't mm -hmm. know if you know the song. I do. Uh, and the original lyrics that I wrote was uh, uh, "That drives me through the night." Okay, uh, your love drives me through the night, or something like that. And when he sang back the song, it was driving through the day, and I was like, I said night, not day. <laughs> why? Why did he sing? Day? But he explained that it, uh, for the uh, meaning of the lyrics, it makes much more sense uh, during uh, saying uh, driving through the day instead of driving through the night because it it's out of the meaning of the lyrics, and so that was uh, one of the thing changes. Another thing uh, uh, I remember, uh, there was a very complicated uh, sentence to sing verse, to sing in uh, Not Time Yet for a Lullaby. Uh, oh, I, I don't even remember now the the, the, uh, the the original lyrics, but I should check and, and I will write to you maybe to let you know which were the, <laughs> the original <laughs> sentence. And he uh, asked me to change because because it was too difficult to sing at that <laughs> speed, you know. So I, I rewrote the, the, the sentence in a couple of minutes because it was really a, a, a minor thing. But it was something that he couldn't sing. <laughs> While I, I could sing because I'm not a perfect English singer. <laughs> so maybe I, I made some mess and I made it sound almost like 
what I wanted to say to see, and uh, but it was difficult to sing, so I changed that. And those are the the things that I mean when I say uh, you have to uh, go back and forth with music. No, this works, this doesn't work. You have to redo, to redo this to make it better, and that's working as a band. And uh, with the first record. Mm, it happened, but maybe David was not as much part of it during the work. The second record, instead, it was much more a um, back and forth with him too. So also, also we decided to, uh, um, you know, make the the, the band uh, uh, members more steady. I think Simon Dredo, which is the bass player. Uh, which is the only bass player for this record, while in the other record uh, there are three bass players or two bass players who, who, who played during the record. So even the sound might be uh, quite different from one song to another, uh, while Simon in this last record, Another Time and Place, uh, gave a, a more uh, peculiar sound to the whole package of songs. So that was that was another of my questions. You've got all these uh, extremely accomplished uh, musicians and artists, you know, on this record, and how much of their influence was brought into these songs that you wrote? Um, you, you know, you said they pretty much stayed true to what you wrote, but did they, you know, did they bring their own styles to what they were playing and all to kind of change up what you originally had in mind? 